This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. The text this morning is very simple. It's from Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So we're just going to focus in on this uh, one verse, verse 16. You may remember a couple of weeks ago when I preached on chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, I referenced Verse 16, I could not exhibit the patience necessary to not draw it to your attention. Uh, Last week when Rue preached on verses 11 through 14 in chapter 2, he also uh, could not resist telling you about verse 16. Uh, The next sermon I preach on Galatians uh, will be uh, Galatians 15 through 21. And yet again, I will actually preach the verse uh, in the rest of the context of the book of Galatians. But I just couldn't help myself but, but to want to stop today and to just focus in on this one verse. I'll give you more context a little later uh, as to what's going on in Galatians chapter 2, but I want to tell you why I wanted to stop. Uh, I don't know of anywhere else in Paul's writings where he gives a threefold repetition of truth, a threefold repetition of doctrine in one verse. I don't know of another way in Paul, of another place in Paul's writings where, by the way, he writes it, he demands that we stop and give serious consideration to the truth contained in the verse. He says three times, we are not justified by our own works of the law. Also three times, faith or belief is mentioned as the means by which we're justified. Uh, if you were here last week, you, you may recall Rue gave Martin Luther's a famous quote uh, on the need for us to have the gospel continually beat into our heads. Uh, Luther uh, wrote those very famous words in his commentary, and he wrote them about this verse. It was Paul's threefold repetition that motivated Luther to stop and say, this is the principal doctrine of Christianity. This is the principal doctrine that must continually be beat into the heads of believers. Listen to a few quotes by some commentators, some theologians, some pastors, those that I I studied this week in preparation for preaching to you. James Boyce writes this, this is the most important verse in the epistle. John Stott writes this, nobody has understood Christianity who has not understood this truth. Further, nobody is a Christian who does not believe this truth. Uh, Tim Keller is a man in our denomination, and he's the most influential man in our denomination. I think he's uh, got incredible wisdom when it comes to Scripture. He, He says that this is the essential belief of Christians, and it's the central doctrine of Christianity. He illustrates essential this way. He says, if you were to ask a surgeon, essentially, what is a surgeon? If they answered, a surgeon wears blue shirts and takes a long time to wash their hands, you would object They're telling you something true, but they're not giving you the essential truth about surgeons. And the point is this, Christians have many beliefs, but this is our essential belief. Keller illustrates centrality in terms of doctrine this way. He says, this doctrine is the center of the wheel out of which every other doctrine is but a spoke. 
That's pretty amazing. And so our goal today is to focus on this one verse. And my goal today is for anyone who is seeking, anyone investigating Christianity, my goal is for you to at least understand the central truth of Christianity. But further, my goal for those who are believers is that you might understand this truth, and more important than that, you might more deeply experience this truth. And so in order to stop and focus, I have four points. It's not a longer sermon, I just have four points. Uh, First, I want to focus in on the word justification. I want to see that it means the declaration of righteousness. Then I, I want to look at the entire phrase, justification through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the doctrine that Paul is pounding into our brains in this verse. Then I want to focus back in on the word faith. Okay, I want to focus in on faith, and I want to see that it's more than mental. Faith, more than mental. And then finally, I want to focus on Jesus Christ as the Savior of ultimate faithfulness. All right, so we've got that phrase. We're going to pick apart the three main words, and then on the second point, we're going to look at it in totality. First, justification, the declaration of righteousness. If you'll get your worship folder insert out, Paul, three times in verse 16, he uses this verb to justify. The way I've broken it down uh, in your worship folder insert uh, shows that he uses this verb in in, in line one, in line four, and in line five. The Greek word is a technical legal term. It's used in courtroom proceedings and Greco-Roman culture. The judge, after hearing the evidence in a case, could either condemn or justify. In Paul's day and age, there was no jury. If the judge found the one on trial guilty, the judge would condemn or declare guilty that one on trial. If the judge found the one on trial to be righteous, the judge would justify or declare righteous that one on trial. It is really important to note that to justify does not mean to declare innocent. It means to declare righteous. Said differently, the word doesn't mean that the one on trial didn't break the law or that there wasn't enough admissible evidence to prove that they broke the law. It means that the one on trial obeyed the law. In the American judicial system, we ask the question, did they break the law or not? Can we prove that they broke the law or not? Can we get the jury enough evidence to show that they broke the rule or not? In the Roman and in the Jewish system, they also ask this question, did they obey the law or not? So that's why in Luke chapter 18, our call to worship this morning, in the parable Jesus created, when the man was commending himself to God and telling God why he should be in his presence, he not only says, I'm not unjust and I'm not an adulterer, uh, I'm not an extortionist like this, this tax collector, that is, I don't break the law. He also says, I tithe and I fast and I keep doing all these good things. I'm not a lawbreaker, and I'm also a law keeper. So think about it this way. And by the way, this is how Paul is, of course, using this phrase in our passage. He's not talking about our relationship to the state. He's talking about our relationship to God. Think about it this way. Imagine that I'm standing before God in a courtroom setting. And let's say God is reading a book entitled The Life of Tedrick Lloyd Sin. That's me, by the way. That's the name my mother gave me. After reviewing it, God will condemn me or God will justify me. Listen carefully. He will condemn me. He will declare my guilt and my wickedness. If in the book there is the mention of any one sin, if there is the mention of any one self-centered act, if there is the mention of any one uh, prideful act, or after reviewing it, he will justify me. 
He'll declare me righteous. But only if the book is completely filled with story after story of obedience and love and wisdom and selfless service. It's not condemnation or, or innocence. It's condemnation or justification. Any one sin, condemnation. All love, justification. This is huge. Justification is not this. It's not God saying to you, you're guilty, but I'm a merciful judge and I'm going to forgive you. Forgiveness is a truth in Christianity. Mercy is an attribute of God, but that's not justification. I couldn't think of one time in the Bible where the Bible calls God a merciful judge. The Bible keeps saying that God is a just judge. Justification is not this. It's not God saying to us, you're innocent. I don't see enough evidence here to prove that you broke my law. You're free to go. Justification is this. It's God saying to us, you're righteous. I see you as one who obeyed the law perfectly. You lived your life for me. You're beautiful. It's not you're free to go, although that's true. It's you're free to come near. You're free to enter my presence. You're free to enjoy my blessing. The difference is huge. He's not saying, uh, I'm going to justify you and you're free to go as an innocent woman or man in my kingdom. He's saying, you're beautiful. You're honorable. You're lovely. I want you. I accept you. I'm ravished by you. You're so attractive and you're so valuable. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to give you all the inheritance of Jesus Christ. This is how marvelous you are. That's justification. It's not the declaration of mercy nor is it the declaration of innocence. It's the declaration of righteousness. Now second, I want to zoom out. I want to focus on the entire phrase, justification through faith in Jesus Christ. The essential belief of all Christians, the central doctrine of all Christianity. After, after just hearing what I said about the term justify, after thinking about what it meant in its original context, it would be rational. It would only be rational for us to be a little bit nervous. It would only be rational for us to be a lot nervous. I don't know each of you personally, but I know me very personally, and my life has not been all love, all beauty, and all goodness. Further, listen to Proverbs seventeen fifteen. He who justifies or declares righteous the wicked, and he who condemns or declares guilty the righteous, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination, a detestable thing, a vile thing to the Lord. I mean, the Bible is clear. It teaches over and over and over, God hates crooked judges. And the Bible is also clear, God is a very just judge. Paul says this multiple times in the book of Romans. Paul is saying God can't just declare the wicked righteous because he wants to. But listen again to the first two lines as printed in your worship folder insert, the first two lines of verse 16. We, Paul talking to Peter, we know that a man is not justified, not declared righteous, not approved by God, not accepted by God, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Also, look at the last uh, phrase of the verse, the last line as printed in your insert. By works of the law, no one, no human flesh will be justified. 
And so the Bible is clear, no human born of man, born of man and woman, no human can, can perfectly obey God's law, li- live a life of perfect selfless love. No man or woman can earn or merit justification. And at the same time, God can't say, I'll go ahead and justify you even though you don't deserve it. So go back to the mental image of me standing in a courtroom before God. Imagine that God's face is buried behind the book entitled, the life of Tedrick Lloyd's sin. And imagine that God puts down the book and a big smile builds across his face and he thunderously declares with authority and with love, justified, righteous, beautiful, wise, loving, selfless, honorable. And imagine that the enemy of God, the one called the accuser of the brethren in Revelation 12, imagine that the enemy of God stands up and says, I object. I know that I successfully tempted this man many a time. I know that at countless times he was selfish and he was arrogant and he was willful. So many times he got angry. He acted out of lust. So many times he told big black lies and little white lies. So many times he delighted in his kids, but so many times he was annoyed with his kids. Up to this very day, that man used people. That man objectified people. That man promoted himself at the expense of other people. And Satan concludes, that man is anything but beautiful. And the beauty of the gospel is this, the the take your breath away reality of the gospel is this. That's absolutely true on a certain level. But at a deeper level, not only did Jesus die for all the horrific things that should define me, he gave me his righteousness at the cross and in his resurrection and that defines me. If you think about the analogy of the book of my life, At the cross, God hit delete on every one of my sins. But also in the the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God filled my book with page after page of love and beauty and goodness and honorable living because the record of Jesus, the resume of Jesus is now mine. Listen very clearly. Faith is knowing and trusting that when God sees you, he sees righteousness. That when God declared you righteous, the first day you repented and believed and became a Christian, when God declared you righteous, when God justified you, it was not mercy and or injustice. It was because he actually saw and sees righteousness when he looks at you. It is not because you earned it. By works of the law, no human flesh will be justified. It's because the righteousness of Jesus has been imputed to you. It has been credited to you. It clothes you. It is you. And so with this in mind, listen to what Paul writes in Romans 8, 31 and 34. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. He's at the right hand of God and he is interceding for us. And so Paul is using so many words from the Roman judicial system. Who shall bring a charge? God justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus is interceding. In 1 John 2, John says that Jesus is our lawyer. In Romans 8, Paul says, Satan may accuse, but our lawyer intercedes for us. Our lawyer addresses the judge on our behalf. Satan says, with all due respect, your honor, check again October 24, 2013. 
This man did not tell the whole truth on October 24, 2013. You check it. And God, God starts flipping back to October 24th. And as he's flipping back, Jesus says, it's true. He didn't tell the whole truth, but I died for that. And not only that, on October 24, 23 AD, I told the whole truth, even when it brought hardship into my life. And I've given him that record. I've given him that righteousness. I've clothed him in that reality. And right then, God, God the judge gets to October 24, 2013. It says, yeah, it says right here that he told the truth. Satan says, okay. I really got him on October 26, 2013. He got so frustrated over a piddly little thing. He had the chance to delight in his children and he didn't. Check 1026, 2013. So God turns a couple of pages and he says, says right here he was patient. It says right here he was prayerful. It says right here he was loving the whole time. And Jesus says, yes, that's because on October 26, 30 AD, I endured the same temptation as him, yet without sin. And so when he died, uh, excuse me, when I died, I died for his anger. I died for his lack of love. I, I died for his prayerlessness. I died for him on the cross. Patience, prayerfulness, constant enjoyment of his children. It's all there. It's his. Who's not talking in Romans 8? Me. I have a lawyer. My lawyer says, don't say a thing. I've got this covered. The worst thing you can do is talk. You can't earn justification. God can't give you justification because he's merciful and he wants to, although he is merciful. God, as judge, must declare it how he sees it. And, 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 and the only way for us to be seen as righteous is for the righteous one to clothe us in his robe and in his record and in his righteousness declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. Third for today, I want to focus in on the word faith. So we started out, we started out by zooming in on justification and then we went back out and we thought about the entire phrase and now I want to go back in and I want to think about faith. Faith is more than mental. Faith is more than mental. Okay, I want, to see, I want us to see from verse 16. Faith includes mental understanding, but it's more than mental. We've been saying this throughout the series. I want to show you in, in, in Galatians 2 why we've been saying this. Okay, verse 16. You there? Yet we know. Okay, so now again, remember, this is uh, the section in chapter 2 where Paul is telling the Galatians of the time where he confronted Peter because Peter was being hypocritical and Peter was being legalistic. Peter was thinking that he had to act a certain way uh, to be justified by God. And Paul is telling the Galatians, look, I confronted Peter and this is what I said to Peter. He said, yet we, Paul and Peter, yet we know... And the word for know is the word for to see and to perceive and to understand... So what did Paul and Peter know? What did they comprehend? What was understanding for them? Keep reading. That a person is not justified by works of the law, but is justified through faith in Jesus Christ. And so faith begins with knowing, seeing, whiteboarding, understanding. But faith is more than mental. Look at the third line as I printed it in your worship folder insert. So we also have believed, have faithed in Jesus Christ. More literally, this third line could read and probably should read this way. So we also have believed into or towards Jesus Christ. The preposition in the Greek language is not conceptual. It's not theoretical in nature. It's spatial. It's talking about movement. 
Paul is saying, we have believed towards Jesus. We have believed into Jesus. Faith is not just the intellectual ascent that a chair can hold me. Faith is this, with vulnerability, I move my way into the chair in such a fashion that if the chair doesn't hold me, I crash to the ground. That's faith. Let's say that you're on an eighth floor of a burning building and you're on a balcony and the the fire department has inflated one of those really large pillows beneath you. And when you see them on TV, you think, I'd like to jump into one of those. But when you're actually on the eighth floor of a burning building, that's the last thing crossing your mind. And the fire department is yelling to you. You can't go through the building. The building is being consumed by flames. You have to jump. And then the fireman says, I promise you, this pillow will catch you. First, faith starts with calculation. It's large. It's soft, or it's, it's at least softer than the ground. I can't go through the door. I see other people doing it. I just need to jump out a few feet, and I need to trust. You see, it starts with calculation, but faith is more than mental. Faith is believing into, or faith is believing towards the big pillow. I'm not calling Jesus the big pillow. It's understanding. Peter, we know, we see, we've whiteboarded this. But it's trust. So we also have believed into. Think about Hebrews 11.1. Hebrews 11.1 is a very famous verse on faith. Listen to what it says. Faith is the assurance. Faith is the realizing. Faith is the mental realization of things hoped for. And the conviction, the trust of things unseen. You see, faith is more than mental. It's head and it's heart. And so so what does it look like in a person's life? How does one move from this mental ascent to the soul level conviction of faith? We have said this over and over and over. Our heads are always ahead of our hearts when it comes to the gospel. How do we catch our hearts up to our heads? And I think there's a lot of ways for this to happen, but I'll just share one. Prayer. Prayer. I have found in my life that when I move uh, from understanding to conviction, this happens whenever I sit down and I tell Jesus what I know to be true about him, what I know to be true about the gospel, what I know to be true about justification by faith in him. I have found that private prayer takes the gospel from my head to my heart in very, very effective ways. And so, for example, last night we got out the fire pit. It was 75 degrees. My children were not sweating, so they thought we need a fire. We're Floridians. And so I said, sure, let's go to Target. Let's go to Publix and buy some wood. Why wouldn't we? And so we had s'mores as a family. And so during that time, as I've already alluded to, instead of delighting in my kids, instead of serving my wife, instead of serving my family, for whatever reason, and I have not taken time to reflect on and unpack, for whatever reason, I was grumpy and I was irritable and I was short and I was rude. And so I'm there laying in my bed and I'm, and I'm confessing this sin to God and I don't feel worthy of being in his presence. Have you ever felt that? I just didn't feel worthy. And a lot of nights I would just go to sleep. But because I wanted to pray for God's blessing over this reality, I kept going back to the fact that I didn't feel worthy. And so what I did is I began to tell Jesus what I know to be true. Jesus, the Father's not angry with me. He got angry at you and he died. You died on the cross for me. Jesus, the Father, loves me because you delighted in kids. You are patient with kids. You serve kids every chance you got. Your record is mine. 
Jesus, the Father, wants me in his presence. I will be in his presence forever because of you. Jesus, I'm getting better because your Holy Spirit lives in me and the Holy Spirit doesn't slaughter me for my lack of holiness because your holy record is mine and your holiness is mine. And before long, I felt belonging and I felt joy and I felt hope and I felt rest and I fell asleep. Without talking to Jesus, what would I have done? I would have moved into the night feeling distance. Without talking and praying to Jesus, I would have moved forward assuming I had to do something good in this day to earn God's presence and his blessing for us this morning. But think about it. Prayer to Jesus was that discipline through which faith went from my head down into my heart. It went from a belief to me believing. Maybe you're seeking Maybe you're investigating. Maybe you're clear on what Christians believe. Maybe you're even beginning to agree with what Christians believe. Maybe you find yourself even agreeing with the gospel. But let's say that the experience has not yet entered into your heart as best as you can tell. How can it go from your head to your heart? How can you go from concepts to joy and peace and rest and freedom and hope? It sounds like Sunday school, but the answer is prayer. Get in an isolated place with peace and quiet and start to tell Jesus what you understand to be true about him and just see what happens to your heart. I can't promise you that anything will happen, but what I can tell you is that there are many of us who have been warmed by the fire of the gospel simply by telling Jesus what we know is true about him. This is an important way of pushing faith from our heads down into our hearts. Finally, for today, I want to look at Jesus Christ. Number four, I want to look at Jesus, the Savior of ultimate faithfulness. I want to go back to my friends who are investigating Christianity. I want to go back to you, and I, and I want to ask you, or, or let's, say, let's just assume that maybe you're investigating, and let's assume that you're starting to, to turn the corner. And let's assume, though, that you are struggling with doubt, <laughs> that for every day you believe, there's a day that you don't believe. Let me say to you, welcome to the club. Not only do I, at the level of my heart, doubt God's love for me and his commitment to me as evidenced by all of my sin, all of my idolatry, all of my looking for life elsewhere. Not only at my heart do I doubt God's, God's gospel and do I doubt justification uh, by faith uh, in Jesus Christ, but honestly, to, to be totally honest with you, sometimes I doubt it in my head too. Sometimes it just sounds way too amazing to me and I have to think through, is this really conceptually what the gospel is? All of us, if we're being honest, doubt. We're either doubting at the level of understanding or we're doubting at the level of trust or we're doubting in both levels. But I want to ask the question, how much faith is enough faith to be justified by faith? Say that 10 times fast. How much faith is enough faith to be justified by faith? Or said differently, how much doubt is too much doubt? How much unbelief is too much unbelief? How much faithlessness is too much faithlessness? Look at the second line of verse 16, printed in your worship folder insert. Instead of reading, but through faith in Jesus Christ, some of your translations will read through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Instead of reading through faith in Jesus Christ, some of your translations will read through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And that's because in the Greek, there's no preposition. It just says, faith, Jesus Christ. 
And so men and women much smarter and much more learned than I have argued over this for a long time. And really good people think, well, it says faith in Jesus Christ. And really good people think, no, it's the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. But which one is it? Which did Paul intend? I have no idea. I have really good news. The Bible teaches both. Both are true. Look at the third line. Paul clearly says, so we also have believed in. There is a preposition there. It's the preposition into. So we have also believed into Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. So obviously, faith in us has to be present to be justified by God. But I want you to listen to this. Far more important than the strength of your faith is the strength of the one in whom you believe. Far more important than the degree of your trust is the faithfulness of the one in whom you trust. You see, from the eighth floor of the burning building, far more important than the level of the trust and the one who jumps is the level of the trustworthiness in the fireman. Far more important than the, than the level of belief and the one who jumps is the level of trustworthiness in the fireman's instruction and in the fireman's provision. If that was me, the whole way down, I would be screaming like a 12-year-old girl. I have a 12-year-old girl. I know what they sound like. I would be screaming the entire time. I would not be having tea time. It would not be unadulterated faith. It'd be a lot of doubt. But I'd be safe. Not because of the degree of my trust, but because of the trustworthiness of the one who caught me. So which is it? Justified by faith in Jesus Christ or justified by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ? Yes. True. Both. But far more important than your faith is the faithfulness of your Savior. Listen to 2 Timothy 2.13. This is awesome. When we are faithless, Paul writing to a pastor, he's writing to every person in this room. When we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. How much faith is enough faith to be justified through faith in Jesus Christ? I can tell you on the authority of scripture, as long as you have enough faith in Jesus to tell him that you have doubts, you have enough faith for him. As long as you have enough faith in Jesus to tell him that you have doubts, you have enough faith for him. In Mark 9, there's this famous story of a dad saying to Jesus, if you can do something about the demons tormenting my son, I would really appreciate it. Please help me. And Jesus very clearly says, I can do it. But then he puts the ball back into the father's court and he says, all things are possible for the one with faith. And the dad cries out very famously, the prayer that many of us have prayed many a night, I believe, I faith, but help my unbelief. Help my faithlessness. Same word as 2 Timothy 2.13. The dad says, I believe, but I doubt. I believe, but now I don't believe. And because as long as you have enough faith in Jesus to tell him that you have doubts, it's enough faith for him, uh, Jesus compassionately healed the boy. Listen to this, more important than the index of the dad's faith, faith was the index or the measure of the faithfulness of Jesus. About 16 years ago, I went to a dentist. Well, that's not the whole story. I got home from a long flight and I had a tooth that really hurt and I went and did what 
most 22-year-olds do at that time. I went out with my friends to eat and to drink, and, uh, and I found at the bar my dentist, and I was lamenting to him how bad my tooth hurt. And uh, my dentist had a great idea, which was to go to his office right then and take care of the problem. I will spare you the gory details, but it was ugly. Horrible dentist, drunk, without any help. It took weeks for me to recover. Yeah, bad news. I had doubt and I believed. I believed just enough to go sit in the chair. I have a great dentist now. But I went on Monday and I still had doubts. When they turn that drill on, it freaks me out every time. When they put that stuff and they numb me, I remember the last time it happened, I woke up with blood everywhere. I walked away from the chair on Monday without my teeth hurting, with my teeth clean, a better man than I was before I sat in the chair. Why? I had the same amount of faith and the same amount of doubt with both dentists. Why did I walk away in a much better place? Because the level of my faith was not as important as the trustworthiness of the one I was believing in. That's why. Friends, this is the principal doctrine that we must continually beat into our heads and hearts. This is the essential belief of every Christian. This is the central doctrine of the Christian church. If you don't believe this, you're not a Christian. But listen to this. If you believe this enough to ask Jesus to help you where you don't believe, you're part of the family. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. The reason I doubt it in my head is because it's so amazing. The reason I doubt it in my head and my heart is because it's so beautiful. I doubt it because I could have never come up with it. I thank you, Jesus, for this salvation in you. We praise you for the forgiveness of sins. We praise you for mercy that we don't pay for our sins, but we praise you for grace that you bless us beyond measure because of your righteousness. Holy Spirit, help us to see that this is the only way it can be. God can't be angry with us. God can't threaten us. We can't do something to make us love, to make him love us more. This is the only thing that makes sense when God in skin lives perfectly and dies for those who don't. We pray that you would open our eyes to these truths and you would fill our hearts with joy and belief and that we would leave this place living in line and in step with your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray.